is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. As the new year was approaching, I, uh, I had this real desire in my heart to uh, hear from two uh, to hear from two men in particular uh, who have devoted their lives to ministry. And I'm talking about Earl Weech and Jim Cram. And both of these men are retired, but that doesn't mean they don't continue to pour their lives out uh, for others and in ministry. And they have a wealth of love for Jesus and a wealth of, of walking with Jesus. And I just desired to hear them speak in our congregation and to us. And I know I could have asked them to fill in any, any Sunday, but as I thought about that, I, I had an idea. In Philippians, the Apostle Paul, in Philippians, the Apostle Paul challenged the church there. He said, you know, I, I'm going to press on in my life. I'm going to press on towards the goal of the upward calling of Jesus. And, and he was calling them to that as well. And I thought as we begin 2022 that it would be a great thing for us to devote a few Sundays towards challenging and encouraging us to press on in 2022, just like the Apostle Paul called us to in that, that passage in the, in the, to the Philippian church. And the goal that he said that we're to press on towards was the goal of knowing Jesus. And it was the goal of being conformed to his life. Even to the point where we're conformed to his death. We're to be like Jesus so much that we're even willing to lay down our lives for him. So that's the goal that Paul says that we're to press on towards in our, in our lives. Now, Paul's not the only one to say it. Here's John. John said, whoever says he abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. Peter said, for to, to this you have been called because Jesus also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. The apostle Paul said in another letter, he said, we are predestined to become conformed to the image uh, of Jesus. And in the Philippian text in particular that we're talking about, you know, Paul said, he forgets what lies behind and he presses forward to what lies ahead. And, and I've always, I've loved that verse. And I want to tell you that he's not just saying we forget the failures of the past, but we forget the, the victories of the past as well. And our goal is constantly in front of us to be like Jesus, to keep pushing on, to be conformed to his image, even to the point of death. So we have four messages in this series of pressing on to be like the Lord Jesus. And last week, Michael kind of kicked us off and he challenged us to press on in 2022 to be like Jesus in unity with one another and with God the Father. This week, my intention was to encourage you in an area that I've been greatly encouraged in, and that was to press on to, to understand truth, to know truth, to understand doctrine, to, to really care about what truth is, and to really devote yourself in 2022 to, to studying God's Word and understanding it and, and all. That was my intention. I even told you the last time I spoke that I, two times in that message, I went back and listened. I said, this is what I'm going to speak on. But instead, when I sat at my desk, I, I just felt impressed upon my heart felt impressed that I didn't want to talk to you about that. I really want to challenge you to something else in 2022, maybe something more important. And so I want to, my, my message today is going to be to challenge you to press on to be like Jesus in his character. 
That's going to be my goal. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be in Colossians 3. You can keep it open. I'm going to kind of work my way through the first, I think it's 12 verses maybe of this chapter. So uh, I I want you to follow along. In verse 1 he says, so if you have been raised with Christ, Paul says, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Now, Paul says right from the get-go that we've been raised up with Christ. And he could mean that we, in some spiritual sense, have been raised up with with God. Our spirit was dead, uh, and so he's raised us up spiritually. Or he could mean that our future resurrection is so assured, that so such a certainty, that it's like a present reality. When Jesus was raised, we've been raised with him in the future. That kind of, I think it's called prolepsis in, in I think that's right. I'm pulling that out of midair, so I might not be right. But it's when something is so real that it's like it, it's, it's so real today, it's like it's real tomorrow too. So he could mean that. But either way, whatever he means, he says, our resurrection with Jesus should motivate us. Now notice this, should motivate us to seek things above where Jesus is, not on the earth, uh, not on the earth where, thing, where we are right now. We should seek things above where Christ is. Now, what he means by that is, and this is what I believe he means by that anyway, is that we should seek to prioritize the kingdom of God. We should, we should seek to prioritize the eternal kingdom of God, not the temporal things of this life. And it reminds me of Jesus. Remember Jesus told us, he said, you could finish this verse, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things shall be added to you. So in other words, hey, you know, let's prioritize the kingdom and everything else is going to take care of itself. And, and Jesus isn't trying to say to us, or Paul is not trying in this text to say to us that life is bad or we should shouldn't enjoy it or we shouldn't live to the fullest. Man, I believe with all my heart that God created us to enjoy life. It's a gift from God. And the Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from God. So God wants you to enjoy your life. He wants you to find joy, abundant joy in your life. So when I talk about prioritizing the kingdom as opposed to our present realities, I am not trying to say that somehow life is bad and we need to minimize it or or just God doesn't care about it. He does. Now, what he means is that we live in, in, by faith in light of the coming eternal kingdom and not as if this is all there is. See, there's two ways in which to live. You could live like this is all there is to life. 2022 is all you have at the moment, so live in the moment for that. Or you can live like there is an eternal kingdom coming. And you can prioritize that even as you live to great joy in 2022. I believe that is what he's telling us to do. In verse 3, he goes on and he says, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Again, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I mean, what, is, what does Paul mean by that? It could mean that spiritually, somehow, our spiritual lives are hidden with Christ in God. Or it could mean that our life in the, our, after death, our life is hidden with Christ until the resurrection. But either way, whatever he means exactly by verse 3, verse 4 is the kind of culmination of that. He says, when Jesus, who is your life, appears, when he comes back again, 
He says, then you also will appear with him in glory. When he comes back, we're going to be with him. We're going to be raised immortal. We're going to be a part of that great event when Jesus comes back. When he comes back, he says, the trump shall sound and all those in, dead in Christ will rise first. The great, the great judgment will take place. A lot of things are going to take place. But, but notice this, when he comes back, our, we'll appear with him in glory. He is our, our life. So, how do, so here's the question that comes out of all of that. And it's the question that I want to answer this morning. How do you and I live uh, our lives in light of his appearing? How do we live in light of what's coming in the future? How do we live today in 2022 in light of what's going to happen tomorrow in the eternal kingdom? Well, I think, I think he answers that question for us, and he does so with an analogy. And the analogy is a simple one. It's taking off old clothes and putting on new clothes. How do I live for tomorrow instead of in this moment? I put, I put some things off. I take some things off, and I put some things on. So we're going to start with the things that Paul's going to start with, the things that we put off, take off. And there's, there's quite a list, but if you kind of break them down, they sort of fall under three headings. And so I'm going to give you the three headings of the things that you and I put off. So again, here's, here's what I'm trying to share with us. Here's how we live to put on the character of Jesus in 2022. We live in light of eternity and not in this moment. How do you do that? You do that by putting certain things off and putting certain things on. Here's what we put off. First of all, he says, put off unbridled passions. Put off unbridled passions. That's the category that I've given it. Verse five, therefore put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Now, I want to be so careful here because I don't want to portray sexual desire or sexual passions as wrong. They are not wrong. They're an incredible gift from God, and they were to bless our life. They're not just about the procreation of children. They're about so much more than that. Sexual passion within the confines of marriage is supposed to be or may be one of God's greatest gifts to us. So I don't want in any way to impugn what God has given us. But here, Paul says, put to death wrong expressions of sexual desires. Sexual morality, the word there that first appears in verse 5, comes from the Greek word porneia, which is in our English word we get pornography from that. It's really in the Greek a catch-all word that includes all sexual sin outside of marriage. So it's a big catch-all word, like a barrel that you can put everything in. So it's kind of an over, overarching word. Okay, Impurity and lust, which come next, refer more to sexual sins of the mind more than sexual sins of activity. And then in the context, now this is where you may not agree with me, and that's fine, but I, but I think in the context, evil desires and greed are also falling into this context of sexual sin. So I would say greed would be seeking to live outside the parameters that God has given us with sexual passions and sexual desires. Or uh, evil desires would be to desire things outside of those bounds that God has given us. Now, for those of us, those of you who are following me, when, uh, when I say that we need to bridle our sexual desires, I'm saying outside of marriage. Inside of marriage, and again, this is, I'm not chasing this rabbit, but inside of marriage, we should seek to ignite them. I think we as followers of Jesus should have the best sex relationships in, in, in all of the world because of our relationship with Jesus, because we're selfless and we desire to put others ahead of ourselves. I think those should be some of the best things. But, but outside the context of marriage, 
Paul says, put it off. So here's what it means. It means putting off pornography. It means putting off premarital sex. It means putting off adultery. Now, here's what makes it really hard, because in our culture, those things have been embraced as legitimate, even good. In fact, in our culture, if you're not participating, at least in the first two, people will say, there's something wrong with you. Why aren't you engaging in what everyone else is engaging? So we need to put off pornography. And it's so prevalent and prevalent in our culture. It used to be just a guy thing. Maybe it wasn't just a guy thing, but primarily a guy thing. And it's still a major guy thing. I don't remember. I didn't look it up because this wasn't really my goal. But I mean, the numbers are huge of men who are addicted to pornography and who are struggling with pornography. But did you know this? One in two women, these are statistics from, I think it was Focus on the Family. I didn't write it down. I should have. But one in two women under the age of 25 seek out pornography. One in two. One in four women over the age of 25 seek out pornography. It's not just a guy problem anymore. This is, this is for all of us. And, and the apostle says, put it off. Put it off. So even though the, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Here's a second one about a, a premarital sex, right? It's no longer a stigma in our culture that sex outside of marriage is wrong. It is natural. In fact, why would you not do that in our culture? Because everybody is doing it. I can't, I can't, you know, culture is culture. But let me talk about the church. It's rare to find us in the church, young couples who are heading towards marriage that are not engaging in premarital sex and maybe not even living together. So young people, listen, if, if that is you and you're not married and you're heading towards marriage, you need to put off premarital sex. It's wrong. It's sexual sin. Paul says, put it off. Don't, don't, don't let that be in your life. Now, adultery, it's not accepted as mainstream in our culture, but it's portrayed constantly in movies. And, def- and definitely our culture is changing. Polyamory, you know, more than, more than two people, male and female, or I mean, states are enacting laws for that. So our culture itself is little by little eroding even the issue of adultery. Now, Paul says, he doesn't just say put it off. Did you notice the word he uses? Look at your text. What is the word he use? What does he say to do with it? Put it to death, right? Kill it. Be willing to take extraordinary measures to to remove it from your life. Now in verse 6, Paul says this, because of these, because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. You know, we belittle sexual sin because again, it's so prevalent in our culture. The church has basically made it prevalent within the church. But Paul says, it's a big deal to God. It's a big deal to God. So you need to kill it. You need to fight it. You need to put it off. You need to not give in to that battle. Now look at verse 5. Here's why I think God says this is a big deal. In verse 5, therefore put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed. Notice the next three verses, next three words. What does it say? Which is idolatry. So Paul seems to be saying, and again, you know, the antecedent to that could be just the word greed. And if you want to say greed in this context is not talking about sexual sin, I I think it is. I think this whole list is about, about sexual immorality, and I think greed falls into that. I think the antecedent to which is idolatry is not just greed, but it's sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed. That is all idolatry. 
So what sexual sin is, it's loving self and loving pleasure more than we love God. It's worshiping that sexual desire more than we worship God, more than we love God. And he goes on in verse 7, he says, and you once walked in these things when you were living in them. That's how we used to be. It used to be acceptable, but it's not acceptable anymore. If you are a follower of Jesus, we're to kill it. We're to put it off. We're, we're, we're to not live in it. Then, he, then <clears throat> that used to be us living in unbridled sexual uh, passion, but not anymore. We keep it within marriage. And so I challenge you this morning to put off worshiping sex and sexual desires over Jesus. I, I urge you to put on Jesus and take that off. Here's the second category. Put off uh, unfettered tempers. That's my overall heading. Unfettered temper, uh, tempers or uncontrolled tempers, if you would. Verse 8, but now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice. Now, anger is smoldering feelings of hostility, boiling underneath the surface. Wrath, your translation may say rage, is that quick, sudden outburst that flares up with intensity. Malice is deliberately trying to hurt someone else or harm someone else. Here Paul says, put them all off. Now, I know when it comes to anger, we like to justify our anger. You know, we, 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 we call, what do we call it when we're angry? We call it righteous anger. And what do we always do? Invariably, we say, but Jesus got angry. Remember what he did in the temple, right? Jesus got angry. And, uh, but notice that Paul says, put away all anger uh, put all the following away, anger, wrath, malice. He, he doesn't seem to say put away bad anger. He says put away anger. Now, I'm not saying, please hear me, I'm not saying that all of our anger is sin. That Paul says be angry and sin not. So you can be angry and not sin. But I can't stop the emotion of anger, but I can let I can make sure that that emotion of anger doesn't rule in my life, doesn't lead me to this uncontrolled anger or this uncontrolled rage that just spills out of me. I think that's what Paul is telling us to put off. When you get angry, put it off. Now, I've shared this so many times, so forgive me if you've heard it a gazillion times, but years ago, I was challenged with my anger. Not that I've ever been a super angry person. I have not. But this person said, you know, when, when anger goes off in your life, when anger goes off in life, it's a warning. It's, 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 it's telling you that you feel like some of your rights have been violated, that somebody has done something that you felt like they didn't have a right. So when you're angry, you feel like your rights have been violated. And, and so they said, when, so whenever you feel angry, ask yourself, why, why am I angry? What right has been violated? And once you figure that out, this person said, then surrender that right back to God and let that anger go. And you know, for 30 plus years in my life, I have practiced that. I've practiced it in the simplest things in my life. When anger, whenever I'm feeling anger, I, I ask myself, why am I angry? What, what, what injustice, have, what perceived injustice have, has come my way that I'm angry? And then once I recognize that, I own it. And I say, God, please forgive me for that. I'm surrendering that to you. And you know, I, I'm, this is a personal testimony for 30 years plus. I mean, I, I just don't struggle with anger. Because God just takes it away whenever I give it to him. So my question to you this morning is, do you have a short fuse? Do you kick the dog? Somebody used to tell me, somebody once told me they kicked their dog all the time out of anger. Put it to death. Put it off. Take it off. Take that anger off. Here's the third one. Press on to put off unwholesome speech. 
Verse 8 again. But now put away all the following. Slander, filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Slander is defamation of another person's character by your words. Filthy language doesn't, doesn't just mean the the words that we would associate with filthy language. It can be abusive speech, you know, when you're being harsh and negative towards someone with your talk. Lying is the attempt to use, to use truth or manipulate truth to your advantage in a, in a wrong way, either, either not telling the truth or spinning the truth in such a way to make yourself have an advantage. And one thing that's pretty clear in the Bible, listen, I know you know this, but listen, don't go to sleep on me. God has such a disdain for unwholesome talk. And you know the reason I I say that is because over and over again, from the Old Testament to the New, he talks about lying. He talks about lying over and over again. Includes two lyings in the seven things that he hates in the the Proverbs. He censures gossip. He, He speaks about slander over and over again. Here's a poem that I found about the danger of a lying tongue. I thought it was good. First, someone told it. Then the room couldn't hold it, so the busy tongues rolled it till they got it outside. Then the crowd came across it, never once lost it, but tossed it and tossed it till it grew long and wide. This lie brought forth others, dark sisters and brothers and fathers and mothers, a terrible crew. And while headlong they hurried, the people they flurried and troubled and worried as lies always do. And so evil bloated, this monster lay goaded till at last it exploded in smoke and in shame. And then from the mud and from the mire, the pieces flew higher and hit the sad victim and killed a good name. Paul says that we're to put off the old self, which is filled with lying and deceitful tongues and untruthfulness. And we have to work on this. It is so easy. It is so easy to lie and spin the truth so that you look better than you are as opposed to telling it exactly as it is. He goes on in verse 10, you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. You're you're being renewed. You should be putting these things off. Verse 11, in Christ, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcision, uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all in all. It doesn't matter who you are. I don't care who you are. You should be putting these things off. Jew, Gentile, slave, free. It doesn't say male, female, male, female. It doesn't matter. In Christ, he's renewing all of us. And that means putting these things off, being made new by the Lord Jesus. Now, last week, uh, you know, I had COVID. And so I, I was quarantining. And by the time I felt better, I was working out in the yard. And I'm trying to beat back my woods from my yard. You know, around our yard is woods. And it just keeps encroaching in more and more to the yard. So it makes it hard to mow and all that kind of stuff. And as I was going around the edge of my property, I noticed these vines. These vines are everywhere on the edge of my woods. And they go up in the trees. And I found that they were they really all up in the trees. And so I would cut them off at the, at the base, and then I would rip them down with my hands. But you know, some of them got so big, I couldn't really pull them down. And there was one vine I found in particular that was probably an inch and a half to two inches in diameter. I mean, it was, it was this big. The vine was going up the side of the tree. So I cut that guy off right at the root, right? And then, of course, I knew I'd never pull him out of the tree, so I hooked my truck up to it, tied a rope around it, and I pulled that vine out of the, out of the woods. 
As I began to pull that vine out of the woods, here's what I found. I found that that vine went up that tree and jumped over to two other trees and then jumped into my yard, into one of my trees in the yard. That vine, you guys won't believe how much I pulled out of the trees with my truck by that, by that vine. And that's when it hit me. I had this thought, sin is like that. Sin is like that. If we just allow sin in our life and not put it off, it grows bigger and bigger. And it puts its tentacles in more and more parts of our life. And you know what? It becomes harder and harder to put it off. Harder and harder to pull it down. The more we allow it to grow in our lives, the harder and harder it is to pull it out. And that's why we need to, we need to pull those things out of our life right from the very beginning. Not let them get bigger and bigger. So my challenge in 2022 for us in putting on the character of God is to put off those things and, and to put them off. Put them off when they're little. Put off those unbridled passions. Young people, listen to me. Don't give in to unbridled passions, lest you'll have a vine that just is, is just all throughout your life, and you'll have such a hard time pulling it out. Or unfettered tempers. If you allow your temper to go unchecked, you'll just become an angry person, and it'll put its angry tentacles all throughout your life. Or unwholesome speech the same. So Paul doesn't stop though with the put-offs. He says we got to put some things on in its place. They're not exactly the opposite. So again, I've divided them into four categories. Here's the first one. Put on concern for others. Verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, here's what you do. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, and gentleness. Now, before we look at those words that we're to put on, that concern for others, notice that he gives us these things. Therefore, as God's, he says we're holy. You know what that means? Set apart. We're different. I tell you, you're to be different than everybody in the world. Danny, you're to be different than people that don't know Jesus because of who you are in Christ. That's true for all of you in this room. Nancy, Jeremy point to the same people. My goal is simply to say this. We're, we're holy. We're set apart. We're different. And then he says we're dearly loved. Don't miss that. Every one of you that, that, that is loved with Jesus, Jesus loves you. He first loved you. The only reason you love him is because he's loved you. And he says we're dearly loved. And we've been chosen. We're God's chosen. We're the ones who have been chosen for what God's going to give. Those who come to Jesus are chosen for eternal life with God in the kingdom to come. Now, because of all of that, he says, put this on, compassion. Compassion is to hurt when other people hurt. Put on kindness, which is to be helpful and beneficial and generous to others. Gentleness, which is showing care and respect for others in, ways that, in the ways you act and speak so that they feel it. And it's got to be genuine. We've got to put these things on genuinely, this concern for others. Now, Paul, to the Philippian church, where he gets this baseline challenge that I'm giving you about pressing on, this is what he said to that church. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not for his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. When Jesus told us what the second greatest commandment was, you remember it, of course, right? We're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And then he's pressed. Well, who's our neighbor? You remember how he defined neighbor? He said, neighbor is anyone around you who's in need. Now I want to give you a, what I think it looks like practically to, uh, to have this concern for others. I'd like you to listen to this audio clip from the world and everything in it. It's about two and a half minutes. Listen. You better call Randy, my husband told me one evening as I was getting ready for bed. He's in the hospital and it doesn't sound good. The hospital? I questioned as I searched for my phone. 
Just a few days before, our 80-year-old neighbor had joined us for fried fish in our messy living room. It was a special evening. Normally, he was busy caring for his wife, who suffers with dementia. We'd always just brought covered plates to their house. But that evening, she was at their daughter's, and he had the night free. I remember him sitting relaxed in our overstuffed leather chair, smiling and not wanting to rush the evening. We discussed politics, our shared faith, the differences between Texas deer and Oklahoma deer, and how my boys never seemed to have shoes on when he saw them outside. He meant it as a compliment. I'd rolled my eyes at him when he sided with my husband over a man's need for a thermal rifle scope. I hit Randy's name in my contacts and looked out of my bedroom window into the darkness as the phone dialed, reflecting on all of the seemingly insignificant little moments that had brought us to this point. My son's leaving little yellow flowers, AKA weeds, in Randy's mailbox. Randy, in return, bringing them cookies, candy, and Cracker Jacks, his favorite childhood treat. I'd photographed unusual moles for the guy and plucked long hairs from a stitched up surgical site on his neck. Okay, so it got a little weird but his wife's hands were unsteady and his daughter lived an hour away. I remember him walking up to my boy's lemonade stand and teaching them the proper way to organize their bills. You want them all facing the same way, see, with the smaller denominations on the top. During last year's Texas snowpocalypse, my husband stayed up late and got up early to keep Randy's generator running. Whitney, it's Randy. Did you have Mix come by? I uh, having trouble getting the generator started. Bye. Having a power source is a matter of life and death for a man whose heart relies on an LVAD pump. Once Randy brought me some old bananas and asked if I'd make him some bread. I was busy and overwhelmed that day, quite honestly, but I dropped everything and made it right then. He said it was the best banana bread he'd ever tasted. And now here we were on the phone together, discussing the major surgery he'd be having the next day, both secretly wondering if this would be our last conversation. I prayed with him, told him that we'd been blessed by his friendship, and then I said goodbye. That was indeed our last conversation. Our friend Randy never made it home from the hospital. When his daughter called to tell me the news, she said that just before he was admitted, he had shown her a video that we'd sent him the night of the fish fry. The video showed one of my four-year-olds, teary-eyed, snot-nosed, and sucking his fingers, upset that he'd missed the opportunity to see Randy off that evening. I want to say bye. He was upset that he didn't get to say anything to you before you left. What do you want to tell Randy? Bye. He loved you all so much, his daughter told me, which got me to thinking, maybe all of these little moments in life aren't so little after all. I'm Whitney Williams. Now, first time I listened to that uh, on my walk, I started crying. And even now, I'm, I'm fighting emotion. Because this, I think, is what Jesus is telling us to put on. It's, it's caring for the neighbor next door. It's like David said, those random acts of kindness that we do, that people associate them with us because we follow Jesus. And because Jesus is, he's our, he's our motivation. He's our inspiration. He's the reason why we do what we do. We put on this, this concern for others, but Paul goes on, he says, put on humility for yourself, verse 12. I, I took, it's kind of in the middle there, kindness, humility, and gentleness. I took humility out and made it its own thing. Because humility isn't thinking less of yourselves, everyone. Humility is thinking about yourself the way you ought to. And here's what you need to think about yourself. You are not inherently more valuable than anyone else. You're not worth more than anyone else because you're pretty, or because you're powerful, or because you're rich, or because you're popular. You're not more valuable or worth anything more than other people who aren't 
like you. you. And humility is, is not just believing that in some esoteric way or just in my mind. And get, by the way, guys, faith is not just believing something in our mind. Faith is when it, it permeates my life. And so humility isn't just believing that about myself. It's when I act that way. And so I, so I might be popular and powerful and rich, but you'd never know it because I treat everyone like they have an inherent value from God. That's what humility is. And that's why he says, put on humility. That's why it takes humility for us to care about. about. That's why going back to the, to the Philippian passage where, where I quoted just a minute ago, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as equal to yourselves or better than yourselves, right? So is humility is so necessary for living this out in our relationships. Now, Jerry Bridges said that at the time that Paul wrote this in the Greco-Roman world, humility was one of the most despised attributes because you should want to make yourself powerful and over everyone else. You, to, to be a powerful person and yet not act that way, I mean, that, we, that was a sign of weakness, not strength. And so here we have Jesus, a man of incredible power, incredible popularity, incredible perfection, and yet he cared for the people that society didn't care for. And he loved them, and he invested in them, and he called them friends and family. You see, he so broke the mold, and he was the son of God. He was God become flesh, and yet he was willing to humble himself and, and not even see and not even act in such a way that his inherent value over the humanity that he created was even evident, right? I mean, he created, he treated his creation as if they were just as valuable as he was, so brothers and sisters, in 2022, my challenge is not just that you put off certain things, but you put on things, and one thing you put on is humility. You see yourself as not more valuable or better or more important than anyone else. Put on forgiveness is the third thing he says. Put on patience, verse 12, verse 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so that you also, so you are also to forgive. Now, patience is the capacity to accept and tolerate delay or pain or trouble or suffering in some way without getting angry, without getting upset, without getting that emotion boiling underneath the surface. And we've already been told to put off anger, right? I think in this case, the, the context, Paul's talking about patience in relationships, that we have patience with one another. He goes on to say we bear with one another. We're willing to not give up on one another when, when the pressure comes and, and people are offending or hurting us. One of my favorite verses, and this has been my favorite verse for many, many years, it's from the Proverbs, it's to a man's glory to overlook an offense. It's to his credit to overlook somebody offending him. That has been one of my favorite verses. And you know why? I, I know why that's one of my favorite verses, because I mess up and I need your grace and your forgiveness. And how can I ask, how can I ask you to be merciful and gracious to me if I'm not willing to be gracious and merciful to you? It's to your credit and to your glory to be willing to forgive one another. Put on patience, bearing with one another their failures, forgiving one another grievances that you have against them. The culminating put on, I think, here is, is almost forgiving each other, not seeking revenge, not seeking to penalize or get retribution from the person who's hurt you. 
And why do we do that? Look at the text. You tell me. Why do we do that? Why do we forgive? Because he's forgiven us, right? That's what the text says. I am willing to forgive you and, 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 and overlook your offenses and love you in spite of where you may hurt me because that's what Jesus did for you and me. He's my model. Jesus is my model. He's the one I want to emulate. He's the one that I'm challenging you to be like in this next year. That's what he did. We're always awed, aren't we, when, when we see great forgiveness? Aren't you always awed? Aren't you awed by the story of um, Cory Ten Boone and the Nazi guy? Aren't you awed by that story? I know I am. Aren't you awed by the story when, when Dylan Roof went in and shot those folks up and, uh, and killed our brothers and sisters in that Charleston church? And then at the courtroom, you remember this, at the sentencing, our brothers and sisters one by one got up and said, we forgive you. We forgive you. I mean, we're always, we're always amazed by, by that. I have a, another thing I'd like you to watch. Um, I think it's like three minutes, but this is a YouTube. You'll get to watch it as well as listen. So here we go. You see, when we prefer to, we prefer to wait until we feel like forgiving. But if we do that, then our lives are dictated by our feelings. At the fire department, we worked 24-hour shifts. And that particular day, we didn't get hardly any sleep. It was literally like three or four seconds to nod off and to cross the center line and, and to meet the other car. To forgive us, we don't think it's fair. Forgiveness is a choice, not a feeling. I'm supposed to be a helper, the EMT and the paramedic and the fireman. That, that helps in these tragic situations, and here I am, caused this. See, forgiveness makes us victorious. Maybe in your heart, you know the right. Two men of service, one a pastor, the other a rookie firefighter, forever bound in tragedy. For them, it's hard to believe over a decade has passed. I can still see it, I can still smell it, the horrendous noise and the glass breaking. When the grief counselor approached in the hospital, Eric Fitzgerald knew his wife, June, was gone, leaving their 19-month-old daughter, Faith, without a mom. Faith's just sitting there playing on the little hospital bed with the, the nurse, and of course she sees me and just reaches out. I don't know what she understood, really, but she called her to my lap, and she just went to sleep. And I was thankful because uh, I didn't have to pretend that everything was okay. <clears throat> and I was at the hospital and a police officer came in and he said, uh, I don't know if anyone's told you, but June didn't make it. And then he also told me, he said, and by the way, she was seven months pregnant and the baby didn't make it either. Eric, you had the opportunity to really say to the judge, you know what, I think this guy deserves some hard time. What did you do? I remember somebody said this in a, in a sermon. In moments where um, tragedy happens or, or even hurt, that there's opportunities to demonstrate grace or to exact vengeance. And I chose to demonstrate grace. The men knew of each other but endured their grief apart until the two-year anniversary of June's death. Matt Swatzel had stopped by the grocery store to buy a condolence card for Eric when he spotted him in the parking lot. Eric starts walking out of the grocery store. He starts walking towards my truck. What do you see in the window? He was just, just bawling. Yeah. And um, 
So I just walked up and I just hugged him. Um, I mean, it, you know, what do you say? You know, something, sometimes things are best said with no words. That hug must have felt like someone had just put a pin in two years of pressure. That was the, uh, the biggest relief I'd ever felt. He just said from the start that he forgave me. And uh, just hearing him say those words, um, it just impacted my, my life completely. They talked for two hours that day. And where you might imagine the relationship would end. I said, man, I don't know what you're going to say to this. I said, but I just feel like in my spirit that I'm supposed to stay connected to you somehow. And he's like, dude, I, I feel the same way. That's about half that video, and I'll tag it in my email tomorrow. You ought to watch the ending of it. It's, it's really actually kind of neat. Eric said at the beginning, he said, forgiveness is a choice. And that, brothers and sisters, is what Paul is trying to tell us in this text, that forgiveness is a choice, that we put it on, that we, desire, we choose to put it on, and we choose to forgive. Now, here's the thing that I want you to hear me. You will never forgive in the big things if you can't forgive in the little things. If you can't forgive in the little things, when somebody says something to you in a crossway manner and, and, and you just you can't forgive them for that, or I, I, don't, I don't know what little petty things drive us to break relationships and not forgive, but if you can't forgive in the little things, when God gives you a big opportunity, you're probably not going to forgive. And so, beloved, I want to challenge us in 2022 to live a life of forgiveness to live a life of just saying, yeah, I forgive you. I forgive you in advance for all the things that you might do. I mean, that's something we say in our heart. I, I just forgive people and I'm not going to hold them accountable. I'm going to forgive them and not going to, I'm not going to desire retribution or punishment from them. I'm going to let God take care of that. So here's my question for us this morning. And, and again, I'm almost finished. Who, who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive that you're not forgiving? Well, this is, this is the opportunity to walk out the doors this morning deciding I'm going to do something different. I'm going to forgive. And then finally, last, lastly of all, he says, uh, put, uh, put on love for all, verse 14. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Now, last week, Michael challenged us to put on unity. And here Paul says the way to do that is to put on love. You know, the way to live in unity with one another is to put on this perfect bond this perfect love. Now, love isn't a feeling. It's not, it's not the, the eros thing. It's not the sexual love we were talking about at the beginning. Lo love here, love here is really everything I've said all rolled up together. That's what love is. It's concern for others. It's humility of heart. It's uh, forgiveness of others. It's all of these things wrapped together. Love is what God is, and love is what God showed us in Jesus when he sent Jesus. He loved us. He loved us. He was willing to he was willing to suffer on our behalf. He was willing to unconditionally love us when we didn't yet love him. And that's what you and I need to put on. Recently, in fact, last week, I bought a six-pack of black T-shirts. And um, I bought these black T-shirts. And you know the reason why I bought these black T-shirts is because all my old black T-shirts had holes in them. And my wife couldn't get them smelling very good either. So, <laughs> but it's really the holes in them. And, uh, and you know what? I put off all my old t-shirts and I've been putting on my new t-shirts. And when I take the old one off, I rip it into shreds. So I won't be tempted to put it back on again. And that's the gospel truth, man. There's a, there's a t-shirt in my trash basket 
in my, in my bathroom because I didn't want to be tempted to put it back on. I wanted to take it off and never put it on again because I got new t-shirts to put on. Beloved, that's what Paul is calling us to do in 2022 in our character, to put off, to put off the, the things that we talked about and to put on the things that he talked about and let his character shine through us. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.